Well, hey there. I'm Lauren Dimmitt Waters, and I'm a New York City-based blogger and influencer who's been covering beauty, style, and lifestyle for what seems like forever. But now I'm a woman in midlife who wants to discover all of the secrets to growing younger. I'm ready to explore topics that deal with health and anti-aging, especially when it comes to beauty, fashion, wellness, and longevity. I'll find the foremost experts to unearth what's new, what works, and even what you shouldn't waste your money on. I'm on the hunt for the latest and greatest discoveries and strategies to help us all get through this journey called life with a little humor and a lot of attitude. I want to keep fighting the fight so we can all grow old ungracefully. So welcome to Beauty is a Bitch. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of Beauty is a Bitch. Today, my guest is Dr. Elizabeth Clotus. She is a board-certified cardiologist, author, speaker, founder of the Preventative Cardiology Clinic near Minneapolis, Minnesota, and the founder and chief medical officer of Step One Foods. And today, we are going to talk all about heart health. So let's get right to it. Hi, Dr. Liz. How are you? Oh, awesome. Great to be with you, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here because this is a really, I think this is a topic that many women in midlife don't really talk about uh, because they think that um, heart disease and heart issues are a men's disease. And uh, so I want to start with a question that I hope kind of sets the stage for this. And that is how prevalent is heart disease in middle-aged women? So if you, you know, you can look at this in different ways, right? You can look at risk factors, you can, you know, right? And, and they're highly prevalent, highly prevalent, right? 94 million Americans or one in two adults have high cholesterol. 46% have prediabetes. 47% have high blood pressure, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. Wow. If you want to look at actual, you know, I think objective evidence that heart disease has started, you can look at something called a coronary calcium scan, which is a very interesting test. I'll give you some data behind that that sort of sheds as to why, like kind of where I'm coming up with my statistics. So mm-hmm. um, coronary calcium scans are scans that are, it's a CT that, that we do through the heart and we obtain 40 to 50 slices through the heart very rapidly. And because heart arteries follow very scripted paths on the surface of the heart, we can see them on every slice. Normal heart arteries are supposed to have the same CT density as the rest of the heart. The heart's supposed to look like a big gray blob in the middle of the chest. As atherosclerosis takes hold, and this is really what we're talking about when we're talking about heart disease, right? The buildup of plaque and gunk in our arteries that gunk starts to calcify. It's not the very first thing that happens, but it's one of the things that happens. And, uh, and calcium has a very different CT density, so we can, it looks white on, on, a CT, on a CT image. So we can start to see white flecks where the heart arteries are, and we can circle those, feed them to a computer, and the computer blast spits out a number, which is a coronary calcium score. Zero means we saw no calcium. Zero means it's very low likelihood that you have any significant buildup, okay? So at age 50, 90, it's about estimated based on population data of people that have had this test, 90% of, um, of women age 50 
have a zero calcium score. That means 10% of women, you know, at age 50 already have some objective evidence of buildup of gunk in their arteries. By the time we get to 70 years, years of age, half of us will have evidence of buildup in our arteries. So it's, so that's kind of the, kind of the spectrum. So it's very, very common, highly prevalent heart disease is our disease. It is the number one killer of Americans. It is the number one killer of women. You know, to your point, you know, women are concerned about cancer, other things. Well, Mm -hmm. not to, not to diminish breast cancer in any way. It's a terrible disease. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. You know, one out of nine women sorry, one out of nine women will get breast cancer. One out of 30 will die of it. One in three will die of heart disease. Wow. Wow. That is sobering. Wow. It's our disease and it's preventable and it's preventable. Well, we're going to talk about that. We will get into that. So, okay. Well, before we do that, how can a woman tell if she's having issues, health issues related to our heart? Like, how would you know that there's possibly something going on just in your everyday life? In your everyday life? Yeah. Without getting a coronary calcium scan. Correct. Yeah. Or know that maybe it's time to get one. Maybe. Yeah. Take the next step. Sure. So I think, you know, the, the, there are, there are a couple of important, well, a couple several important things. Number one is be aware of your risk factors, right? There are things that need to be measured. Some of these things you can't feel. You can't feel a cholesterol number. You typically can't feel a blood pressure reading or a blood sugar, you know, abnormality. So those are things that need to be tested. So go in and get you know, a general physical evaluation, right? And that will typically involve some measurements as well as a blood test. Another is, you know, look at your family history, get to know, you know, what's happened to your relatives. If everyone in your family has a heart event in their 60s, like, okay, wait, like, you know, it's, it's time to get really, you know, granular about what your own risks are. And then pay attention to how you feel, right? You know, women can present differently with heart symptoms. We are, you know, we're taught that chest pain is this squeezing sensation in the middle of the chest that radiates up into the neck and down the left arm. Okay. That's a very classic presentation happens with exercise or stress relieved with rest. And women can have that. No doubt. Women can have a classic presentation, but we can also have other stuff, right? It can be kind of unusual fatigue with activity, more of a heartburn, a back pain. I, I've seen a woman who presented with a toothache that was exertional, and she kept going to the dentist, and they couldn't figure it out. And it turned out it was, it was heart disease. So it can, wow. be, it can be really kind of different. But what I would say is, if it doesn't feel right to you, get it checked out, especially if it's new or it's getting worse. What's the, what's the, you know, what's the absolute worst thing that can happen? It's not your heart. It's something else like, okay, or it's nothing at all. Yay. <laughs> right, right. right. But, peace of mind. Right. Peace of mind. But, you know, but don't, don't, um, you know, <laughs> shy away from, from getting, from getting evaluated. Yeah. I, I had heard that uh, heart attacks present differently in women than they do in men, um, that they have other symptoms. And so that, and the other thing too, is I think women, because we're caretakers and we tend to put other people first, we ignore these little signs until it's catastrophic. 
Uh, which is you are right. correct. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Um, then when should we start taking our heart health seriously? I know like today I got that, <laughs> but like, <laughs> okay. Considering my audience is middle-aged, um, yep. what, you know, when should we be taking it seriously? Like you said, you said after 50 before. So is that yeah. really... Well, so, you know, I, if you, if you want to be like completely honest about it, we should be, you know, this should be something we engage in, you know, from childhood, you know, they've, you know, when in, in the unfortunate circumstance, when an autop when autopsy is done on a child who's, you know, who's died in a car accident or something like that, you know, they they have found early early signs of atherosclerosis even in children. Now this is something that won't show up in a coronary calcium scan. This is very early, you know, fatty plaque, and you know the stuff is is accumulating from a very early age. In young men that were killed in the Korean and Vietnam wars, their autopsy data showed evidence of plaque. So so this is, you know, this is a process that starts early and we have the ability to impact it every day. So as middle-aged women who often have children and sometimes even grandchildren, you know, impart some of this, you know, to your offspring to give them the the best chance of avoiding this disease altogether because it's a it's a pro- slowly progressive cumulative thing. Okay. But now we're in our 50s. What do we do? Well, first of all, here's some good news. Some of this is reversible. You can undo it. We have good data to show that you can regress the buildup of atherosclerosis in our heart arteries. Now, it's not a miracle. I'm not saying you go from a 90% blockage to a zero, but you can go from a 90 to a 60. And that is tremendously impactful in terms of how you feel, what you can do, and your risk of, of heart events. So it's, so it can be very, very powerful. So know that there is no age at which it is too late to start doing something about heart health. Um, and so there's, there's lots of hope and, and lots of options, but I think, you know, if you're listening to this and haven't thought about heart disease before, as you said, at the very beginning, it's like, it's today, start thinking about this today, because the sooner you start getting your risk factors evaluated, the sooner you start attending to them, the, the better outcome you have. And, and ultimately, all of this, you know, is about healthy longevity. It's about living long well. Yep, and, exactly. Right? And, yep. you know, and, cool. what are the, right? and what are the things that can derail you? Well, there's three big ones. It's heart disease, cancer, and dementia, right? Yep. And, and as it turns out, Everything we do to prevent heart disease will also help prevent cancer and dementia. So this is all the things we're going to talk about, you know, in terms of risk factors and, and what you can do, addresses all of these, uh, the, the big three and helps with all of them. Okay. I want to ask a question off of yeah. what something you just said. Yeah. So let's say we have kids and we want to help them mm-hmm. avoid calcification, heart disease. Heart yeah. disease. What, what should we be teaching our children and telling them what should we be doing for our children? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, my example of sort of the, the healthy lifestyle is going back to the blue zones. And I don't know if you've talked about this on your show before, but you know, yeah. yeah. So these are communities where, 
you know, me becoming a centenarian is not the exception. It's the rule. Like everybody turns a hundred, it's like a good hundred and they're scattered. There's, you know, five that have been studied fairly intensively, very different, you know, Okinawa, Loma Linda, Costa Rica, right? The Mediterranean. So pretty, you know, dispersed geographically, culturally very different. And yet there are some common threads. And if you look at those common threads, they're, they're just as applicable in childhood as they are throughout our lives. So number one, what, what is common, you know, what are the four pillars of healthy longevity? Number one, physical activity, move your body, encourage, you know, just like we should be moving our bodies, encourage our children to move their bodies, you know, and, and right now we're in a culture that sort of defaults to, you know, to, to electronics, right? It's, it, you know, I often see four-year-olds on little iPads and I'm like, oh my gosh, like you should be like out, you know, looking Running at around. dandelions right, right, and, right, you know, and, right. and watching ants, you know, march in, march in a line. Um, so, you know, so, so encourage physical activities and, and it doesn't have to be organized and, you know, all team sports, just be outside and, and, and move. And move with them. Like, what a what a great way to move your own body. Number right. two, social interconnectedness. We thrive when we have when we're part of a community. So, you know, help your children. You know, it, it, you know, play groups, things like that. Encourage them to be with with other kids. COVID was a was a horrible, horrible, horrible experiment. You know, in terms of social interconnectedness, and it probably affected our children disproportionately oh, because they're just forming. You know, it these did. these connections. So those are really, really important. Um, a sense of purpose and joy, right? We need a reason to get up in the morning. So do our children. You know, every child is different. They have different. You know, they have different kind of. Um, hobbies and things that kind of, you know, turn their minds and, you know, and, and dopamine receptors on. I have my, my own little example is my, my oldest, who's now 28, but ever since like from, from the youngest time that he could verbalize what he liked, he's always like, like building things, Legos Mm -hmm. and robotics. And, and so I signed him up for this thing called Lego robotics. And, and it was, and it was, you know, for the first time we went, it was held in this basement under a coffee shop. It was dingy. And there was just like stuff scattered everywhere, bolts and screws. And, you know, and it just, I mean, it looked like, like the most horrific, like Mm -hmm. disorganized place, which is like totally anti me. And I remember as we were walking down the stairs, my son grabbing me by the arm and saying like, mom, this is my kind of place. (laughs) Your worst nightmare, your worst nightmare, right? (laughs) But it was, but it was, you know, it was something that he flourished at and it right, was, you know, right. and, it, and it led him to a, you know, a, a, a career as a, as a, you know, a, a computer science, you know, whiz kid. So anyway, but that was like encourage their, encourage their passions. And right. it's just like for us. And the last is, you know, what is it that, that, that these people eat? They eat a whole food plant-based diet. So they eat a lot of beans and leafy greens, fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds, Right. Meat um, is celebratory. It's not part of every single meal. It doesn't mean, you know, you have to just raise a bunch of vegans. That's what I'm saying. But 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 make sure that 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 plants and plant based foods are always part of every meal and that they're an option, that they're that they're normal, that they're normal. Right. And just make that that the norm rather than like, 
oh, that's weird. Mom just ate an apple. Like, I'm like no, oh, right, we right. just do that, right? So we do it. We, you know, they learn from us and, and we encourage a, a healthier, more whole, less processed diet. There's no I, reason we all have to have Pop-Tarts around the house all no, the time. we don't. I try. I have a son now that who is addicted to sugar and he's at the age where he can go forage for it himself. So if I don't keep it in the house, he finds ways to get it. <laughs> so, you know, had a cavity yesterday and I said, you know, we really don't want to pay for these every visit. So you need to stop it. You know, yeah, but yeah, but it, but you know, it, it, people, it, it, kids also go through phases, and and they learn from us. Like sometimes when we don't think they're watching, and and we don't think they're learning, and it's just like they're doing these crazy things on their own. They're still observing, and they come back to the things that they have seen at home over and over and over again. Oh, from your mouth to God's ears. I hope you're right. <laughs> my son it's teases. Oh totally my gosh, he, he teases me. He's a meativore. I mean ridiculous. You know, I can't get them to eat anything green, but we'll, we're getting, we'll try. I'm going to keep trying. Yeah, You just, you just keep putting it out there. Eventually. I do. I eat it. Yeah. I, my, yeah. everybody else in my family, it's that he just won't. So let me ask the next question yeah. is knowing where to begin when it comes to lowering your cholesterol can feel overwhelming. So what advice do you have for people looking to better their heart health naturally? I think you kind of touched on some of it, but yeah. So, so all those four things, right. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, which like, what did I say? That's so, you know, illuminating or, or miraculous, like nothing, right. Move your body, have some friends, be happy, eat well, like, right. Like big, you know, big, big secret. But it, it, you know, I, I do want to point out what I didn't say. I didn't mention a single drug and I didn't mention a single procedure. Right. Right, People live long well because they live well. It's not because they're on, you know, the greatest combination of the latest drugs. So I think, you know, the first thing is, you know, realizing that we have a lot of power over our own health destinies and we can we can leverage that power. And the 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 other the other thing that's important to understand is that you don't have to change everything. Right. Like people sort of are under the sort of misguided notion. I think physicians actually perpetuate to to some extent. It's like, you know, you just have to be a yoga practicing vegan triathlete, right? Yeah, right. You know, otherwise forget it. Like, why even bother trying? It's like, no. That's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. I mean, if it is, go for it. But, but you know, I'm not that. Not for the average Uh, person. (laughs) No, no. Um, So, you know, so, so the... The other, the other thing to, to note is that it's small changes add up to big things. You know, the, this atherosclerosis, the buildup of this gunk, it happens slowly. We have lots of time to address it. That means, you know, it doesn't have to be all done at once. And you can pick things that are, you know, that, are, that you can look at and say like, okay, I can do that. I can drink one less can of pop a day. Okay. Is it like, is that, is that it? Like, have you solved everything? No. But have you eliminated 30 cases of soda in a year? Yes. Right. It's a little tiny thing you did, but it's actually a pretty big thing. And, and same thing, like, could I add a 15 minute walk a day? Maybe you can, maybe you can't, maybe you can add a five minute walk. Okay. What's five minutes more than you were walking yesterday over the course of a year. You know, that's, that's several hours of of walking, right? Like that's pretty good. 
So, so I think it's, it's really about realizing and accepting the fact that, that, that perfection is really hard, but that better is attainable and we can all attain better. I like that a lot. Okay. So how important, I think we've already discussed this is diet when it comes to heart health, but can you get like a little bit more specific than sure? Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. like oh, what yeah. about, what about like Mediterranean diet? And yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So first of all, if you look at the risk factors for heart disease, right, there are nine main risk factors, two of which you can't do anything about. And that is your genetics. You can't change your parents and age. As we get older, the chance that we develop some sort of, you know, ailment (laughs) somewhere in our body increases. Right. So those those two things are, you know, are are unchangeable. And then there's seven major risk factors that are modifiable. What are those? Well, that's smoking, inactivity, and then there's high cholesterol, high blood pressure, high blood sugar diabetes, excess weight, poor diet. Well, if I look at those seven modifiable risk factors, with the exception of smoking and inactivity, all the others are related in part or in whole to food. So our, our nutrition has an outsized impact on cardiovascular risk. So then, okay, what, you know, what is it that, that we should be doing? If you look at the data and it's so, and honestly, it's so frustrating to have like this diet come up and that diet come up and, you know, eat eggs, don't eat eggs. (laughs) It's very confusing. And it actually isn't. We know what to eat. We truly know what to eat. The data is consistent. It's voluminous and it is a plant forward diet. And I just talked about in the context of, of, of healthy longevity, but, but I think the, you know, honestly, we make it so hard and it's, and it's puzzling that we are the only species on this planet that doesn't know what to eat. Every other species <laughs> knows what to eat and yet we are confused. And so the, the, you know, I have tried to find a way to communicate what we should be eating and, and actually the best advice is seven words long. And it's not my advice. It's Michael Pollan's advice. It's the subtitle of one of his books. The book, the book's title is in defense of food. And the subtitle is seven words and it is eat food period, not too much period, mostly plants period. So those seven words eat food is probably the the most important part of this. It's like it's eat real food. Right. Food that your great grandmother would recognize as food. You know, if she were to walk into a grocery store today, she probably wouldn't recognize 80% of what's in there. Right. If you say chicken to your great grandmother, she thinks chicken breast, chicken thigh. She does not think chicken McNuggets or chicken pieces shaped as dinosaurs. Right. Like that's just, you know, that's just not it. But you can eat some chicken. Like it's not, it's not the end of the world, it, but is it, you know, is it prepared? The processed, way right. Right. right? Pro- highly is, processed. Is it, is it, right. right. Is it unprocessed? Good. Is it, you know, are you eating to stuff yourself? Don't do that. Like, you know, the, right. the Japanese actually have a, a, like a really cool saying it's harahachi boo, which is, you know, eat until you're 80% full and then, and then push away. So eat to quell hunger as opposed to, you know, completely filling sati- yourself, right, filling right. yourself up. Um, and then mostly plants like, okay, so you eat a chicken breast. Okay. Do you, do you have some green beans? Do you have some salad? Do you have maybe a cut up tomato, something like on the plate? Great. Good. 
there's that's yep. a, that's a good that's a good dish. You know, I don't think we need to turn ourselves into pretzels to to you know, and and those people that live in blue zones, they don't go around you know looking at nutrition panels and counting carbs. Like they just eat food. <sighs> well, I think. You said that humans are the only species that don't know what to eat. We're probably also the only species that has so much now. And we've modified foods and we've got processed. Like, it's getting complicated. I mean, even I've noticed in my lifetime, you know, the the change. I mean, yeah, we had Tang and Swanson frozen dinners when I was younger, but it wasn't it was nothing like now, Uh, you know, and obviously shopping the perimeter of the store. We all know that the process stuff's in the middle is in the aisles. Um, you know, I try to, I try to shop the perimeter as much as possible. Uh, but you know, uh, most of us don't like my kids, they love the stuff in the center of the store. (laughs) 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 Um, But it's, you know, and I actually, I've talked about this before because it's, it's actually important for people to know that the reason why we love the middle of the store is it's been created for us to love it. Right. It is not, it, this is not sort of like by chance that we, you know, that we love some of these foods. I mean, you know, I, do you know what the perfect food is according to the food industry? What? No. It's the, it's the Cheeto. What? Yeah. The Cheeto is the perfect food. If you were to ask, you know, a food industry expert, what the perfect food is, they would say it's the Cheeto because from their perspective, right. You got to look at it from, from, from their side, right. First of all, it's bright orange and we love bright colors. That, that color is, you know, it's, again, it's not, it's not accidental. All of this is designed. So we are attracted to it. It has the perfect crunch. And that crunch is, you know, it's again, not accidental. It's derived through you know, sampling hundreds of focus groups and adjusting the, you know, the components of what's in there and how it's excreted and, and how it's baked and, and whatever to get to that, to that absolute perfect, most pleasurable mouth experience. And then the combination of salt, sugar, fat designed specifically to, to kind of light up the most dopamine receptors. We love this stuff. And when we crunch it, you know how it kind of disappears because it's full of air? There is an industry term for that. It's called vanishing caloric density. Hmm. It's meant to sort of confuse the brain. Like, did I eat something? Did I not eat something? Because it's kind of gone. And from an so evolution, more. Right. there right. you go. Because the brain says like, well, I, I, I ate nothing. I don't know. This, this seemed weird. <laughs> and you know how you end up with that, that um, orange powder on your yes, fingers? Yes, it's called Cheetle. I would know nothing. I would know nothing uh, about that. <laughs> Cheetle. Right. My kids always talk about it. Right. Right. Well, they even coined the term. Right. Yeah. Well, you 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 lick that in between and that the intensity of flavor it means the intensity of flavor is varying all the time. And so you never get bored. Right. So it we're attracted to it. We love the you know, we love the mouthfeel. The our dopamine receptors are set on fire. We don't think we ate anything and we're never bored. Oh, and by the way, it costs nothing to make, and it has an infinite shelf life. It's the perfect food. Ugh, not to me. Okay. I would have thought the Twinkie, because doesn't that last forever? (laughs) 
I have a Twinkie that is 27 years old. <gasps> you do not. I do. I do. The the Twinkie looks perfect. The 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 yeah, because because my kids were little when they got this thing, and and it oh and and the, but the paper the paper is almost disintegrated. The packaging, the Twinkie <gasps> is perfect. It's crazy. Oh my gosh, what does that say? I mean, we always joked about Twinkies that they will outlive us, but you're you're actually proving it. Yeah, that's amazing. It's terrible. Oh, it's disgusting. Um, okay, so let's move on to tell us about Step One Foods and your motivation behind creating it. Yeah. So, um, well, first, you know, I went to medical school to cure people. That that is the reason why what I became a doctor. But what I realized, you know, a, a few years into medical practice was that I really wasn't achieving what I had set out to do. I was making people's numbers perfect. They looked perfect on paper. Their cholesterol was perfect. Their blood pressure was perfect. Their their blood sugar was pretty good. I was putting them on the best possible combination of the best drugs. And here it was, yay, you know, give me a big star. But as I looked around, my patients never looked better. They never felt better. In fact, they were telling me that all the drugs I'd put them on had made them feel worse. Mm. And one day I started asking them about what they ate. And it, that was hugely illuminating. I mean, number one, I, I realized, hey, you know, that high cholesterol is not due to a deficiency of Lipitor. It's due to a deficiency of the right foods. People were not eating in a way that was helping them. They were eating in a way opposite that was actually creating high cholesterol. But number two, the other thing that was that was shocking was they were telling me that I was the first physician to even ask. Oh, which is, really? Well, I, I would, you know, think about that. How, you know, has your doctor ever taken a detailed dietary history from you? No. Asked you what you eat for breakfast, what you eat for lunch, what you eat for dinner, what are your snacks, what are your beverages? When I when I give a talk about this and I and I ask people to raise their hand in the audience of how many people have, have had this happen to them, if I see one or two hands, it's 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 unusual. Mostly everyone sits on their hands. And and that's actually, you know, treatment malpractice. And it's also education malpractice. We're not taught this in medical school, right? right. We, we spend all this time learning about which drug for which patient at which dose for which condition. Um, but we don't like which food for which patient, for you know, what dose right. for, for which condition. Right. And um, so, so it's not something that, that we're, we're taught to do. And yet it's so fundamental. And, and so I, like I tried, like I, I got, you know, here's a, here's a cookbook. Here's a, you know, here's a, um, you know, here's a shopping list. Here's a dietitian, And, and what I realized is, is people failed, you know, and it's because drugs are easy and food is hard. Um, and, but that doesn't mean food isn't the right answer. I mean, if, if high cholesterol is caused in part or in whole by food, step one should be change the food, right? Don't, right, don't put, right. don't put you on a bunch of drugs, right. To cover right. up the problem. So this, this was my motivation is I knew that I knew the answer was correct. Change the food. It's just that the tools we had were incomplete. And so the, the idea was to create a food-based solution that was as easy and as effective as, as a pill-based solution. And so this is the birth behind, this is the birth of step one foods. And so um, we actually know that eating the right amount of plant sterols and whole food fiber and antioxidants and healthy fats 
can yield significant cholesterol reductions in as little as two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but rather than changing everybody's diet, it was like, okay, let's take the foundational nutrients that we know affect cholesterol and put them in, you know, and combine them in such a way that we give clinically meaningful amounts of those in just a couple of snacks a day, like maybe a breakfast, you know, a little breakfast, something and, and, and a snack in the afternoon. I'm not changing your whole diet. I'm not asking you to run marathons. All I'm doing is asking you to, to eat a couple of things a day. Typically, instead of something you're doing already, because again, there's only so much room in our stomach, so we're displacing right. something, right? And j- just do that. If you always eat a burger at lunch, okay, you don't have to change that, just, but just do this. And then let's come back and see what happens in 30 days. And lo and behold, with these formulated snacks that are made from real whole ingredients, again, we know what to eat. We know that chia and flax and almonds and walnuts and blueberries and dark chocolate are good for us. Well, I've just combined them into, you know, into these easy to, to, to use products. Um, what we started seeing, honestly, was astonishing. I mean, at first we had people calling us saying, like, you won't believe what happened. Like, my, my LDL cholesterol, bad cholesterol, went down 39 points. Like, what? Like, what else did you do? Like, nothing. I just did what you told me <laughs> to do. And, 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 of course, I knew these, these were biased results, right, because only the people with, like, exceptional stuff or, you know, exceptional experiences are going to call and say, like, whoa, this, this was right. amazing. So this is where we went, we went forwards and, and did something no other food company has done, and that is subjected our foods to the type of scientific scrutiny that's reserved for pharmaceuticals. So this was, we did a randomized controlled clinical trial with Mayo Clinic, University of Manitoba, in people who can't take statin medications or don't want to take statin medications, said, okay, like, try this. And what we found was that on average, in 30 days, we saw 9% LDL cholesterol reduction. Um, nine, yeah, 9%. And if I reduce the average LDL of the U.S. population by 9%, I will finally dethrone heart disease as our number one killer. It's wow. a huge impact from, from a public health perspective. But even within this group, there were people that had 20, 30, close to 40%. LDL reductions in a in month, 30 days, uh-huh. In wow. 30 days with food. And if you are someone who can't tolerate statin medications or you're not, not a goal, despite your maximum tolerated doses, you, you know, you, you are, you know, philosophically opposed to taking drugs. Like, you know, this can be a, a game changer for you and you don't need to, you know, like devote a year of, you know, of your life to this, like 30 days, you know, just, just see what happens. Are you a food responder? And what we have found this has done is it's, it's been so empowering to people to see how much control they have control. over their own yep. health. Yep. And, and that spurs through food, on, through food, through food, through food. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And that can spur on other, you know, kind of, oh, well, maybe I could, you know, instead of that burger, maybe I could have a salad at lunch. Right. And, and you just health builds upon health. And what makes it sustainable is you feel so much better. Yep. And I, and I think that's, that's the thing we forget. Like we eat these foods, we eat these, you know, we eat these packaged products that are, you know, that are formulated to make us addicted and, you know, and junkies honestly, and we don't even realize how bad we feel until, 
we change. And then we go like, wow, I didn't even know I could feel this good. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I been recently on some chips and I can't have them in the house. That well, is, I don't, I, I, statement. I like, I, cause I yeah, will eat I'm the, the same whole bag. Way. It's, it's, I'm a, the I'm, same it's way. Yeah, me too. And so, um, you know, or I buy my kids if they really want that crap, I buy the stuff that I know I won't touch. Yeah. Like, like an Oreo cookie you can leave. Well, I, well yeah. I know, but <clears throat> I felt so disgusting. Like I, I it, it wasn't enjoyable. Like, I don't think I'll be chowing down on chips anytime soon again. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I will, but, but, but in the moment, I mean, in the moment, in the moment, it was amazing. fantastic. It's yeah. amazing. Like, Oh God. Yeah. Are they are like salty, crunchy, them. right. Right. Deserves a Nobel prize. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then like, like about 40 <sighs> minutes later, I felt like death. Um, uh-huh. yeah. So, so these are bars, correct? I mean, yeah, so this like is, yeah, it's a, there's nine. Yeah. So there's, so there's, there's nine different products. So there's kind of more breakfasty items. So mixes, so a smoothie mix, a pancake mix, uh, you know, in a couple of instant oatmeals, uh, uh, anytime sprinkle, which is like a raw ground granola, which I eat all the time. I just put it on yogurt, add some fruit. It's like I've got my prebiotics and my probiotics, and my fiber. I've, I've, you know, my healthy fats. I'm so good to go in, in the mornings. Um, and then there's a, then there's a compendium of bars. So, you know, a, a variety of bars again to, to kind of like, you know, people snack. If, well, if you're going right, to snack, like a candy snack bar, on, right, right. Snack on something that builds health, not that builds disease. And, it's, so, and they're delicious. They're, I mean, you know, this only works if people are going to do it, right? So, you know, you can create a food that's quote unquote healthy, but tastes like cardboard. And that that's not going to help anyone. You know, you know, <laughs> I'm right. a foodie. I love to eat. I, I, I enjoy cooking. I love flavors. You know, I so also made sure that these were delicious. And no, they're not going to taste like a, you know, Reese's peanut butter cup or something. You know, they're, they're not super sweet, but, but they're good. I mean, if you like, but they taste like food, right? Oh my gosh. They taste like food. This is what real food, delicious, real food tastes like cinnamon apples. It's just there. I'm, I'm very proud of them. Good. Well, can they be used? Can one can step one foods be used for preventative measures? So because they lower cholesterol, right? Like, absolutely. We know that lowering LDL cholesterol is almost, you know, linearly related to reductions in risk. So you are improving your health. And but the other thing I would say is and kind of going back to a comment I made earlier, which is when when you eat right for cholesterol. You're also eating right for a whole other host of issues. You're, you're eating in a way that helps lower blood pressure, that helps improve blood sugar, helps, you know, maintain a healthy weight or achieve a healthy weight, that helps prevent cancer, that, that helps, you know, reduce the, the chances you develop dementia. I'm not here to claim that I cure cancer. That's, the, you know, by, by any means. Right, but right. there is a dietary pattern that, that has been shown, this Mediterranean pattern, which is where these foods fit in beautifully to, to really, you know, be the, the dietary pattern that is associated with really favorable health outcomes. So why not eat in a way that, that is Mediterranean-like? This, this helps you. Does it get you all the way? No, it's step one. It's not step one to 100. It covers a couple of little eating occasions during the day then build on that and, and keep going. And, and again, 
you will not only feel better, you will lo- live longer with less disease. You will have a that's greater health span. Greater health that's, span. That's what we say. I'd rather, if I'm going to live to be 100, I'd like those years to be enjoyable. You know? Yeah, it's got to be a yeah. good 100. You yeah, know, I don't want to be a vegetable I be dancing. for 20. Right, right, right. <laughs> got to keep moving. So where can listeners go to learn more about Step One Foods? Yeah, they can come to our website, steponefoods.com. They'll find, obviously, the, the products there, but they'll also find the you know, details about the research that, that we performed and lots of education. Uh, every week I put out a blog. You, know, you don't have to be a, you know, a, a Step One Foods customer to be able to access that information. And look, my whole goal is to empower people to be the best stewards possible of their own health. We have a lot of power that we are not leveraging. And honestly, if I could achieve one thing in my life, it would be to put myself out of work. Because what I do, you know, my job should not exist. 80% of this is preventable. Wow, that's amazing. That's a great way to wrap it up. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? Because you really gave us a ton of amazing information. So is there anything you want to add? The only thing I would add is if you haven't had your risk factors assessed, go get checked out. You know, don't put your head in the sand. Sometimes people don't go to the doctor to have these things checked because they assume they're going to be put on medications. But if you, you know, if you don't get checked, you don't know if you have an issue. And if you don't know you have an issue, you can't solve it. And a lot of the things that, that, contribute to heart disease and, and, and heart disease risk factors are related to lifestyle, but know where you're starting and then make a goal and, and, and improve it. You have power to change your trajectory, but if you don't know where you're starting, you don't, you don't even know what to do or even how to begin. That's a good point. That's a good point. Don't stick your head in the sand. It's, yeah. it, could, it could be, it could be catastrophic. It really could. Thank you so much, Dr. Liz. This has been incredible. I really appreciate it. It's been great to be with you, Lauren. I'm, I'm so happy to have been able to share this information with your listeners. Awesome. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us out a lot. I have a new pro-aging podcast bi-weekly, so please contact Lauren at fountainof30.com for sponsorship opportunities. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, the goal is to live longer, better, and better is attainable. Perfection isn't always. So until next time... Take care, everybody, and eat well. Bye.